Chapter 16, Part 3 of The Wonderful Adventures of Nils by Selma Lagerlof. Translated by Velma Swanston Howard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gerald Moe, Tucker, Georgia. The Crows, The Cabin, Thursday, April 14th. The following morning, when the boy awoke, he lay in a bed. When he saw that he was in a house with four walls around him and a roof over him, he thought that he was at home. I wonder if mother will come soon with some coffee, he muttered to himself where he lay half awake. Then he remembered that he was in a deserted cabin on the Crow Ridge, and that Fumley Drumley with the white feather had borne him there the night before. The boy was sore all over after the journey he had made the day before, and he thought it was lovely to lie still while he waited for Fumley Drumley, who had promised to come and fetch him. Curtains of checked cotton hung before the bed, and he drew them aside to look out into the cabin. It dawned upon him instantly that he had never seen the mate to a cabin like this. The walls consisted of nothing but a couple of rows of logs, then the roof began. There was no interior ceiling, so he could look clear up to the roof-tree. The cabin was so small that it appeared to have been built rather for such as he than for real people. However, the fireplace and chimney were so large, he thought that he had never seen larger. The entrance door was in a gable wall at the side of the fireplace, and was so narrow that it was more like a wicket than a door. In the other gable wall he saw a low and broad window with many panes. There was scarcely any movable furniture in the cabin. The bench on one side and the table under the window were also stationary. Also the big bed where he lay and the many-colored cupboard. The boy could not help wondering who owned the cabin and why it was deserted. It certainly looked as though the people who had lived there expected to return. The coffee-urn and the gruel-pot stood upon the hearth, and there was some wood in the fireplace. The oven-rake and the baker's peel stood in a corner. The spinning-wheel was raised on a bench, on the shelf over the window lay oakum and flax, a couple of skeins of yarn, a candle, and a bunch of matches. Yes, it surely looked as if those who had lived there had intended to come back. There were bedcloths on the bed, and on the walls there still hung long strips of cloth, upon which three writers named Caspar, Melchior, and Baltasar were painted. The same horses and riders were pictured many times. They rode around the whole cabin and continued their ride even up toward the joists. But in the roof the boy saw something which brought him to his senses in a jiffy. It was a couple of loaves of big bread cakes that hung there upon a spit. They looked old and moldy, but it was bread all the same. He gave them a knock with the oven-rake, and one piece fell to the floor. He ate and stuffed his bag full. 
It was incredible how good bread was, anyway. He looked around the cabin once more to try and discover if there was anything else which he might find useful to take along. I may as well take what I need, since no one else cares about it, thought he, but most of the things were too big and heavy. The only things that he could carry might be a few matches, perhaps. He clambered up on the table and swung with the help of the curtains up to the window shelf. While he stood there and stuffed the matches into his bag, the crow with the white feather came in through the window. "'Well, here I am at last,' said Fumley Drumley as he lit on the table. "'I couldn't get here any sooner, because we crows have elected a new chieftain in Windrush's place.' "'Whom have you chosen?' said the boy. "'Well, we have chosen one who will not permit robbery and injustice. We have elected Garm Whitefeather, lately called Fumley Drumley,' answered he drawing himself up until he looked absolutely regal. That was a good choice, said the boy, and congratulated him. You may well wish me luck, said Garm. Then he told the boy about the time they had had with Windrush and Windair. During this recital, the boy heard a voice outside the window, which he thought sounded familiar. Is he here? inquired the fox. "'Yes, he's hidden in there,' answered a crow voice. "'Be careful, Thumbietot,' cried Garm. "'Windair stands without with that fox who wants to eat you.' More he didn't have time to say, for Smyre dashed against the window. The old rotten window frame gave way, and the next second Smyre stood upon the window table. Garm Whitefeather, who didn't have time to fly away, he killed instantly. Thereupon he jumped down to the floor and looked around for the boy. He tried to hide behind a big oakum spiral, but Smyre had already spied him and was crouched for the final spring. The cabin was so small and so low, the boy understood that the fox could reach him without the least difficulty. But just at that moment the boy was not without weapons of defense. He struck a match quickly, touched the curtains, and when they were in flames he threw them down upon Smyre Fox. When the fire enveloped the fox he was seized with a mad terror. He thought no more about the boy, but rushed wildly out of the cabin. But it looked as if the boy had escaped one danger to throw himself into a greater one. From the tuft of oakum which he had flung at Smyre, the fire had spread to the bed hangings. He jumped down and tried to smother it, but it blazed too quickly now. The cabin was soon filled with smoke, and Smyre Fox, who had remained just outside the window, began to grasp the state of affairs within. Well, Thumbietot, he called out, which do you choose now? to be broiled alive in there, or to come out here to me. Of course, I should prefer to have the pleasure of eating you, but in whichever way death meets you it will be dear to me." The boy could not think but what the fox was right, for the fire was making rapid headway. The whole bed was now in a blaze, 
and smoke rose from the floor, and along the painted wall strips the fire crept from rider to rider. The boy jumped up in the fireplace and tried to open the oven door when he heard a key which turned around slowly in the lock. It must be human beings coming, and in the dire extremity in which he found himself he was not afraid but only glad. He was already on the threshold when the door opened. He saw a couple of children facing him, but how they looked when they saw the cabin in flames he took no time to find out, but rushed past them into the open. He didn't dare run far. He knew, of course, that Smyrae Fox lay in wait for him, and he understood that he must remain near the children. He turned round to see what sort of folk they were, but he hadn't looked at them a second before he ran up to them and cried, Oh, good day, Osa Goose Girl, oh, good day, little mats. For when the boy saw those children, he forgot entirely where he was. Crows and burning cabin and talking animals had vanished from his memory. He was walking on a stubble field in West Vemminghog, tending a goose flock, and beside him on the field walked those same Smallland children with their geese. As soon as he saw them, he ran up to the stone hedge and shouted, Oh, good day, Osa Goose Girl, oh, good day, little mats. But when the children saw such a little creature coming up to them with outstretched hands, they grabbed hold of each other, took a couple of steps backward, and looked scared to death. When the boy noticed their terror, he woke up and remembered who he was, and then it seemed to him that nothing worse could happen to him than that those children should see how he had been bewitched. Shame and grief, because he was no longer a human being, overpowered him. He turned and fled, he knew not whither. But a glad meeting awaited the boy when he came down to the heath, for there in the heather he spied something white, and toward him came the white goosey gander accompanied by Dunfin. When the white one saw the boy running with such speed, he thought that dreadful fiends were pursuing him. He flung him in all haste upon his back and flew off with him. End of chapter 16, part 3. Recording by Gerald Moe, Tucker, Georgia.